Hello, and welcome to the Project Good Podcast. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Hilton. Project Good is a social impact podcast interviewing experts and advocates about the pressing problems that we face globally and hearing how they suggest we move forward in the future. The Project Good Podcast is brought to you by Project Good Work. The goal of this podcast is to inspire people and organizations to develop a mindset that can move others to positive action regarding the complex social issues facing people and the planet. For October, we're focusing on the educational technology gap. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Courtney Teague, a passionate educator and true powerhouse. Dr. Teague is an executive coach, speaker, professor, chief learning officer, author, and capability builder. Currently, she's an adjunct professor at Thomas University and a chief learning technology officer at Icarus Consulting and C7 Enterprise. As the author of How to Win Students and Inspire Them, the only book you need to transform your classroom, she has facilitated the development of many teachers. In many roles, Dr. Teague is committed to advancing lifelong learning and fueling the disruption of traditional learning experiences. Dr. Teague has referred to teaching and learning as her calling and aims to spread the knowledge not only to educators, but to everyone who wants to make their life have a strong impact. Let's get into the interview. First, let me introduce our guest, Dr. Courtney Teague, who is originally from Alabama. She started her career as a special education teacher and soon developed a passion for teaching. She received her master's degree in public administration and then went on to get a doctorate focusing on technology and distance learning. In today's world of remote learning, Dr. Teague's decades of experience helped to guide organizations like C7 Enterprises and Icarus Consulting. Ms. Teague has been a past contributor for HuffPost and has branched out and started her own coaching practice for individuals who want to get clear about their life purpose and direction. It's easy to see that Dr. Teague views life as a classroom, from her love of teaching, innovating, and exploring. Welcome, Dr. Teague. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Awesome. I'm so glad I have the time to talk to you and, right. and, got, and got you here. Um, so before we get into the questions, you have done so much in the field of education. What keeps uh, you going and what's, what drives you? Oh, my gosh, what drives me? I'm seeing kids' lives be transformed. I'm seeing people identify the best version of themselves. In essence, oh my gosh, it's just people. People keep me going. Being able to see them identify or have that eureka moment and appreciate the gift of learning, that keeps me going. It's not about myself, but it's about others. And just seeing folks, as I like to say, become a better version of themselves. Yes. I would say that um, definitely one of the things that uh, we learned in 2020 is the importance of education and the absolute importance of uh, teachers. 
Um, I think a lot of parents, um, uh, you know, even though I have a, I have a little one, so she hasn't started school yet, but I started getting, um, uh, just thinking if this was going to be our new life, it started making me nervous to think that I would have to maybe step in and, and teach. So, um, I want to say, first of all, uh, just, uh, thank you to all the people who are in education. Um, we learned, uh, the difficulties, the, the complexities, um, and, uh, you know, uh, without, uh, teachers, I don't even know how we, how we would continue with our, uh, with our kids. Um, but one of the things that became, uh, very crucial in all of this, uh, change that we saw in 2020 was that, um, doing the remote, uh, learning started to affect not only, of course, um, kids and their families just because of the stress of now taking on, um, uh, the classroom at home, but, um, especially for sometimes even younger or older kids, depending on uh, what type of um, classes and things they were taking, is that some of the kids started to um, fall fall behind um, and not having um, that interaction. And then in some um, cases, because of the lack of um, access to uh, computers or the technology needed uh, to uh, sometimes either attend class or, um, or complete assignments. Um, so I know that uh, with your background, you are probably um, always uh, getting uh, confronted and asked questions about um, the technology gap and uh, why it exists. I guess, can you um, start off kind of uh, with a history of how how we got here? Oh, wow. How we got here. Oh, do you have time for that? I think this will take <laughs> weeks. I mean, how we got here is placing education on the back burner. Education, although our most valuable assets were getting on school buses, walking to schools, the value of public education really didn't exist. And so I, I think money, when you look at money from government, you look at um, policies being formed, they were, policies were created, but they were not funded. And my grandmother used to always say, hey, wherever your heart is, your wealth will be as well. And I think People went through the actions, our politicians, our business leaders, they went through the actions of creating policies and having certain corporate social responsibility programs, but they didn't truly fund it. We got here since 2020, COVID. COVID provided an opportunity for us to really see what was happening. COVID pulled the sheets off the bed of education. And I mean, for years as a teacher, I've worked in various districts. I've seen the disproportionate amount of, let's see, not even disproportionate amount. I've seen how funding was split, but not given to certain schools. It wasn't equitable. And I think the lack of equity, the lack of equality is why we are currently in the state that we're in, because we did not place value on our students. We talked about it, but we didn't practice what we taught, talked about. Now, I guess, uh, is funding the biggest hurdle in changing America's approach to education, or are there other factors? Funding started off, initially it was funding, but now it's the perception. People that are making the rules, making the policies, they either, A, they don't have a clear understanding what it takes to teach, or they clearly don't understand what powerful teaching and learning looks like. Two, our system is antiquated is not reflective of where we currently are as a society. And so that I think 
amongst multiple like other things um, contributes to where we are. Yeah, speaking of um, being antiquated, um, just because uh, myself, I was, uh, well, I, I am foreign born, but have been here many, many years. Um, I have uh, uh, some uh, relatives that are still abroad. And one of the things um, during the crisis that they found is that um, for their, the schooling, what they did is that they used the television for to because mostly everybody um you know had access to a tv if they didn't have access to a computer um so is there like a reason perhaps that the u.s didn't take a similar route i think it was power struggle um i think it was a power struggle i think it was a situation to where the u.s did not truly want to acknowledge the problem because the u.s we are typically we're typically suggesting all the time we're first in everything. We are the best in everything. And I think if they were to leverage the television, they would have felt that that was antiquated, but it was not. I think when we think in terms of technology, people like to place age on it. Yes, some technologies can be old, but a pen and a pencil, so is a pen and a pencil. That's low technology. I, I think that in regards to how you shared in other countries, they leveraged the television. I, I don't I don't truly understand why they wouldn't do it. When, as you said, everyone across the US typically have access to a television. I think it was a power struggle. And I, I think that it was a moment that they did not embrace. They were focused on the problem at hand and not being solution focused. Mm. Now, I guess one of the things now uh, that a lot of uh, parents are dealing with, and of course students, because it affects them directly, is that um, you know they've they've fallen behind. Uh, not necessarily everyone, um, but there is a, a a good chunk, and especially the um, students. One of the um, students that I was actually uh, talking to, and her mom, especially for ones that were just starting out, like the kindergartners. Um, and the, the first graders, um, because it seems at that age, I'm not a teacher, but um, having that um, interpersonal interaction is important at that um, at the a younger age. And so how do you um, I guess, how do we, uh, I guess, plan to move move forward after all of this? Because I know some of the schools, I guess, are um, uh, opening fully, some are not. I guess it all depends on where you are. And of course, it's a moving um, target because uh, none of us know how this virus is going to um, act. Oh, wow. So I know many use the term of learning gap or. Um, learning loss, which I prefer not to. I prefer to say this is an opportunity gap to truly personalize learning. Um, we use that language in public K-12 all the time. We say personalized learning, personalized learning, but now we're forced to meet the students where they are, which although, yes, some students may be behind, but this gives teachers and schools the opportunity to truly explore instructional strategies and practice them. Um, and what I mean by practice is you learn a strategy, it gives the teacher time to actually implement to see what works with that particular student. It is breaking down. I, I look at the education system as like this just a big puzzle with multiple pieces that it has just fallen on the floor. And now you have to take time to put that puzzle back together and you have to think logically. 
And so right now it's an opportunity for them to truly personalize learning for those students, meet the students where they are. Off, and like even now, often when we were back pre-COVID, um, BC before COVID, we were measuring student success based on normalized tests. Now you can't do that because everyone is in a different space. So now you can't use a test to say this is where you should be because now what is the norm of the, of the test that you're going to use when everyone is in a different space? Now it gives teachers, it gives schools the opportunity to go back and, and look at how are you assessing students? Are you assessing them based on where they currently are and taking this opportunity to explore the whole child? Now, I guess before we got here, there's uh, there's uh, different ways, and this is going to be kind of a two, this is like two questions in, in one a little bit, okay. but um, one of the arguments in all of the um, chaos and drama <laughs> that happened in 2020 and uh, earlier this year um, with uh, education, because of course there were, everybody had uh, different th thoughts and sides and everything like that. Um, one of the biggest things is that uh, people felt that it was the responsibilities of the school to provide access to the internet and the tools um, for the students to get their schoolwork done. I guess, uh, do you feel that it is um, the responsibility of the schools to be providing access to the internet and the uh, tools for students? Oh, wow. It's, that's a hard one. Um, internet, I believe, is just as essential as electricity and water. I believe that it is a, it's a need. Um, if I say that it's a responsibility of the school, I could possibly be wrong, but I think that the same way we have essentials such as electricity and water, internet is also included. In regards to school, schools are supposed to supply learning, the learning assets in a way that they are, um, they are accessible by students. In regards to technology, I feel that it is a universal right and a universal responsibility of everyone to ensure that internet is readily available, no matter where you are. And I can say I've seen organizations um, step up to the plate and provide access. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the other things, this is on the other side, looking at the, um, from the, the teachers, um, because I had, um, I have a couple uh, teacher friends in Hawaii. Hawaii is its own animal um, <laughs> uh, within uh, within education that I know. Um, uh, but one of the things that was of, of frustration there for a lot of teachers is that now, because they weren't going um, into the classroom and seeing t uh, students in person, um, they themselves as teachers had to all of a sudden get up to speed um, with technology that they may have uh, or may a little, just a little bit, but uh, familiar with. Um, so I saw the problem also from um, from that aspect. Um, so my question is, have expectations changed for teachers um, in the, the last 10 years that are maybe contributing uh, to this problem? Well, oh my gosh, we're going to ruffle some feathers here. Um, yes, expectations have change. I think that, <coughs> excuse me, teachers are just like doctors, you're practitioners, you have our youth's minds in your hands. And just like doctors, we want doc medical doctors 
to be up to date with the best practices. And so teachers should be held accountable for engaging in professional learning and staying, um, staying armed with the best tools to be the best teacher possible. So therefore, I understand that actually um, COVID shine light on teachers who were not um, technologically proficient, but that is a responsibility of a teacher. You should stay ahead of the curve. As a teacher, you should engage in professional learning. As a teacher and I, I'm still a teacher. As a professor, I still have to continue to learn. And when you become a teacher, you take an informal oath or um, an oath to be a lifelong learner. And so it is their responsibility as well as the school's responsibility to provide the opportunity for the teacher to learn and implement their learnings. And I don't believe in professional development, but I believe in professional learning, which is ongoing, not just take a workshop and go on your merry way, but learning is truly ongoing. Now, I guess uh, with teachers, I guess, uh, I guess so they, you would say that they personally need to take the onus upon themselves and go and sign up and uh, start learning um, different things. Uh, for instance, um, now, you know, it's been way too long. Uh, Google didn't even exist when I was in school. Um, but um, uh, it's important, you would say, that uh, parents learn all the, the tools, I guess, um, from the educational aspect um, from uh, Google or these, um, you know, there's so many different online uh, softwares and programs now. So um, you would say that they have to, uh, you know, take it on themselves and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, take this this month and I'm going to learn about this and this and this. Because then, uh, you know, one of, one of my kids comes up and says, I did a search, um, then I will at least know a little bit, even if I don't know all of it. This is a perfect opportunity for students, and I do have to think about being inclusive. Students who have parents or guardians could use this as an opportunity to teach their parent or guardian how to use the tool. So the, te the parent, although they are seen as the teacher during these times, could actually learn from the child. And that actually speaks to the social, emotional intelligence of a, a child as well. It builds a bond between the parent and the child. So if they were to learn from their child, that could be a possible a possibility instead of the parent being on a device, not knowing what to do with it. And I've seen um, many companies, I've seen a lot of content that was on YouTube that is explained in a way that the layman could understand. It's about the time, and I understand that I'm not a parent, but I've um, taught long enough and, and raised a few kids to know that it's about time, but it's also about the willingness to learn. So as a parent, I'm taking a moment to learn what your, your child is doing is key. Now, um, what you're saying, even though uh, it is logic, logical, I've heard sometimes um, people feel a little bit of uh, friction with it um, because, you know, they want to be, I'm the teacher and they're the student. <laughs> Um, uh, so what you're saying, although it's to me, uh, you know, um, I like to think in logic to me, it's common sense, but uh, you know, as they say, common sense is not so common, right. um, that it is, uh, it, you know, people, um, a lot of teachers sometimes are stuck in, uh, tradition. Yeah. Um, and so, 
I guess, uh, how would you suggest, because I believe the reason I'm bringing it up, I believe it is a, a hurdle a little bit for us to move forward. So how do you, how would you um, approach um, uh, those teachers that have that uh, traditional mindset or have you, I guess, have you encountered it and how do you deal with it? Yes, absolutely. I encounter it all the time. Whenever I used to deliver professional learning um, and I can just walk you through how I used to um, share my teachings, I would address all of the barriers that I've heard teachers say and give solutions up front. And one thing that as a teacher that is opposed to learning, I, I would say, why are you in education? It's not about you. It's about that child. And if it's about that child, you'll do whatever it takes within legal, your legal rights to ensure that that child has the best education possible. And so if a teacher says, hey, I don't want to learn this and, and this is the thing I used to come across, I'm retiring in three to four years. I don't need to know this. Guess what? When you go into that doctor's office to check in, um, more than likely they're going to hand you a device or you're going to have to do a, a video conference before you even have your doctor's appointments because of COVID. You're going to have to know how to use technology. Why not learn it here in a safe space? Because when you retire, you're going to still have to be exposed to it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I've, 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 I've seen that. Um. <laughs> you can't get away from it. Like you can say, I don't want to learn this. And I've heard people say, I'm retiring. I don't need this. I was like, well, guess what? When it's time for you to complete that retirement um, form to put in your time, you're going to go through a series of technology applications. So you're going to have to know how to navigate it. Either you're going to love it or hate it, but it's, it's going to move forward whether you're on that train or not. Yes. Um, so, um, I guess getting people on that train, um, <laughs> is, uh, I would say, uh, is probably the, uh, I guess, would you say that's, um, at the same level as funding or is it, uh, just a second? Well, now though, with funding, pre COVID funding was a concern. Now, um, the U S department of ed with the cares Act gave, I think around, $30 billion um, that they made available um, for like the elementary and secondary school emergency relief fund, the higher ed emergency relief fund, the governor's emergency um, relief fund. And then I think a few discretion, um, what was it? It was a few grants. It was a few grants that were, were made available. Um, the funding is there. Now the problem that I think we're going to come across is that People are going to use the funding that was made available to buy tools, but they're forgetting about that professional learning. They're forgetting that, hey, you're going to have to set up systems. You're going to have to think in terms of systems. You're going to have to get um, networks created. You're going to have to provide that, once again, professional learning and time for people to learn and understand. And you have to um, create those once again, system, system, systems. And so I think with the funding is available, now people have to understand that, okay, once the funding runs out, how are we going to sustain it? And I think that's going to be the next big barrier that we're going to come across. Because if we look pre-COVID, if we were to do, and I haven't done it for a lot of, um, for a lot of school districts, but for a few that I've worked with, 
I've asked for their instructional technology plans. They have in their plans to purchase these applications, but they did not have how are we going to train our people or provide support for our people with leveraging these tools. So I think that is going to be the barriers that that come into play that we're going to face. Mm. Oh, my goodness. And the thing is that uh, that uh, is just a little bit of irony in this is this is education. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they got the money. Listen, they got the money. They got the money for the hardware, the software. And I'm telling you, companies are coming up left and right. It reminds me of like being in a doctor's office and that pharmaceutical rep comes in there with snacks and pins and everyone is excited because they feel good. They have that temporary feel good, that temporary high and they buy these tools and it's like, what's next? Yeah, but nobody thought about the what's next. No, nobody <laughs> thought about it because they still have that mindset. Education is going, education is change. When you look at change management, you got to have an awareness that change is needed. We were made aware that change was needed. We know on the outside that change was needed. But COVID was like, yeah, I'm here. I am about to show you who you really are. I'm going to show you that. You got some stuff that needs to be broken down and rebuilt. And now people are like, I don't know what I don't know. And how do I get to the next level? Or what's my next step to take? Yes, this is, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's um, I guess you could say we have a, we have a big bruise on our nose. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you can't go and get makeup to cover it. Concealer would not cover that bruise. I mean, it's going to still be a bruise. Yes. And so to turn the conversation a little bit on to the students, mm-hmm. um, one of the things is um, how is this um, from some of the obvious uh, things of obviously not having the actual uh, computer or tablet, um, but how does the technology gap affect um, uh, students and their socialization? Ooh, oh, wow. That is a good question. How does it influence our students? Well, one Um, I can say that not having access, uh, that shouldn't really be, let me think about this, because that's, that's a hurdle, but being that that funding was made available, now the question is, do the students have high speed access based on where they're living? So that's a whole nother thing that we would have to look at, but in regards to the students being social, we're currently redefining what socialization looks like. What does it mean to socialize? Does it mean me getting in a discussion group online if I do have access to chat? Does it mean me grabbing my cell phone to send a text message and and learn with my peers that way? I think now it looks differently. And Mm -hmm. we have to reflect and say, okay, what is appropriate? What is not appropriate? It, It creates another big question mark that honestly I can't even answer. Yeah, I guess um, as I was uh, thinking, as you were talking a little bit, it's almost, I guess, we're becoming, uh, this is going to be kind of a, our, our social experiment with education that we are moving into this, uh, you know, new uh, decade here. Yeah. Um, and 
uh, one of the things that um, this is just uh, from personal because I'm, of course, not out there doing uh, research on the topic or um, knowing lots of people um, dealing with uh, different things. But one of the uh, for some of the parents that I do know with kids, um, some of the ones that uh, were uh, younger but old enough, probably like you would say seven, eight year olds, mm -hmm. um, because of um, not going into um, class and school and then, of course, with everything that they they were probably seen on the TV and, you know, and of course, uh, the unknown factor is how it, uh, things were in their family or how their parents were personally affected with everything. Um, uh, you know, some of them, um, you know, have now apprehensions about just school in general. Yeah. Um, so now with this, uh, you know, um, I don't know, I guess my thing is I'm thinking is technology, um, going to be, I could see it both ways. Is it going to be a, a barrier for future for people to get the education they need? Or is it going to um, um, accelerate um, because uh, accelerate people's learning because there are no quote unquote, again, barriers? So as I know were, that's a big question. <laughs> no, no, that's no. A big one. <laughs> as you were speaking, I was like, this is going to be a, a great Netflix special with the social experiment <laughs> post-COVID. But I could just see it now. But I think both. I think both because when you think about students, typically, and I'm just thinking from stories of my friends when they have kids, they have a certain age that they can start school. Even though they may be socially ready to start, they weren't able to start. So they had to be out another year. They weren't able to attend an actual class. Um and now I think if, if done right, it's still, I'm looking at things as a realist, it could be a great opportunity because now I, I don't have to teach, if I were a parent, I don't have to teach my child about something that they really don't need. Mm -hmm. It's an opportunity for me that I don't have to teach my kid from a textbook. We can actually take a field trip to the airport to go to this place that they would read about. Mm-hmm. They can get real hands-on experience now. Yes, 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 yes. When I'm looking through that lens of equity, I understand that not everyone will be afforded that opportunity. Um, and so it may be, it may be where it's not everyone's going to experience that equitable opportunity, but there are opportunities for those that have it readily available in which they say, okay, my child can go. Does, my child doesn't even have to go here. It's just like homeschool. When people choose to homeschool their children, they teach their children. Um, they do have the curriculum that's provided by the state or the outline that's provided by the state, but they can choose, pick and choose how they want to deliver the information. Now, that leads me as I was... Uh... I'm I'm thinking now because this would be the new way of tech, how technology is now affecting learning. Um, it's sort of like when you do um, just as uh, you know a regular day, um, you're on Google and you search something, right? So mm -hmm. you pick and choose, of course, uh, what um, how are you going to search the search term, and then depending on of you know what search term or how you've written that term, um, you get uh, you know certain results. And somebody could search for the same thing but call it something something different or, you know, maybe they put a hyphen, a space or something, and then they get slightly different results. Right. Um, and because of that, one of the things that 
I think you uh, education in the past, and this is just what I'm seeing or what I uh, perceive as an outsider, is that um, education had this uniformity. And uh, so you could count on to a certain aspect, of course, I would say probably it dissipates a little bit once you get to high school because you can pick and choose your classes. Um, but, you know, up to, I would say probably, let's just say the end of elementary to be safe, um, all students were getting um, a certain foundation of information. And so now with uh, uh, technology being implemented and then uh, perhaps not having technology uh, implemented, is this then put us at a, um, uh, I don't want to say disadvantage, I'm looking for kind of a, a different word, but something like that, like we're not all getting the same foundational material. So for instance, history could be any way we want it, which could be good or bad. True. True, but I have to say this being that I taught for a few years on the public, it was stated that information was provided to this, all the students. They all had access to the same information. It through as an outsider, it would appear that, oh, we're about, e we're about equality when it comes to education. But I can say that not all students had the same experience because although they may have had access to the same textbook, the caliber mm -hmm. of teacher may have varied. So therefore, they didn't receive that information the way that it possibly could have been delivered. So I think that in that essence, it hasn't changed. This is just, it has transformed and it looks differently, but that issue is still there. Because if you look at schools where you have high priority schools, where they have programming where teachers may have not had experience or formally trained as a teacher, They're, they tend to go to those schools where they have high need for teachers and high um, teacher turnover because of the environment. Those students may not receive the same learning as their counterpart who has teachers that have been in that same class or taught that same subject for five to six years with a, a great evaluation. So I think the problem is still the same. It's just transformed the way we, we see it. Okay. That makes that makes sense to me then because, um, yeah, it's the same. Uh, the human factor is the thing that we can't control. Yeah. Um, and so I guess uh, for, for parents out there, I guess that we're kind of uh, worried about their kids that, um, you know, aren't having this, uh, you know, interaction um, uh, with people in a, from a person to person and now behind a screen that they can feel a little bit more uh, and they were worried from the uh, aspect that they weren't getting, um, you know, um, the same information or uh, enough that they can relax a little bit because it is the same and the fact that, you know, the information is distributed the same. The thing, of course, that you can't count on either from uh, being in person or behind a computer is, you know, um, how it's uh, it's um, uh, given and received. Right. And I mean, mm -hmm. too, as a, as a parent, I think parents should also look at this as an opportunity to remove the walls. Like I used to love to say in my class, I'm removing the walls from my classrooms. I used to invite people virtually in like specialists, musicians, invite them into my classroom leveraging technology pre-COVID. Even if I had to use my, my, my iPad or my cell phone, 
I think parents should look at learning differently. Learning is no longer one, two, three. It's how can we follow these technical steps? Take the kids into the kitchen, cook with them, have them follow a recipe. That's the same as technical reading. It looks differently. And I think that at this time, it's crucial that parents within, within their reach leverage the opportunities that they have with their children and use those as teaching moments as well. And not worry about the standard in a sense of my child won't be prepared when they walk out the door. How do you know your child is going to be prepared when they walk out of a traditional classroom? Hmm. That's true. I like that. Um, I like that because, uh, you know, um, there was this one saying, I forget um, the person I heard it from, but it's uh, if you only learn what you learn in the classroom, um, then you have learned uh, nothing at all. Um, Absolutely. And, that's, and, um, and uh, so, yes, I think, um, as you have just said that, that um, that's a very refreshing statement. And I think maybe that is a um, maybe the statement for the for the year of uh, 2020 to 2021 <laughs> because uh maybe that's the lesson that we all needed to learn that uh learning isn't just in a box no um, and absolutely mm-hmm. not it's not just in a box even when you think about a box in itself i like to tell people yes we can look at the box but do you you're trying to always think outside of the box but how do you leverage the, the skills and the gifts that you have within your box and, 2021 has taught us that we need to get to know ourselves. We need to get to know what we're capable of doing and rely on what we have. Yes. And I was going to ask you what the biggest lesson uh, we needed to learn from the pandemic, but maybe you've just answered it. (laughs) Yes. Sit sit down and, and embrace your current situation and reflect. Literally sit down and take a moment to reflect. I think that we do so much stuff on automatic pilot that we don't reflect. How many times have we gotten in our cars, driven to the store, and didn't really pay attention? We just know this is the way that I go to the store. And you pull in your driveway and don't even remember how you got home. Like, how many times do we do that? Yes, and that's, I think, what a lot of us have been doing with education and in some aspects, life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had, I've had i never forget this. I was trying to teach this um, one teacher how to use Microsoft OneNote or OneDrive. And no, this is not an endorsement for Microsoft, but I was <laughs> trying to teach her how to use Microsoft. Um, and she told me, I don't need to know how to do it. All my lesson plans from the last 10 years are on this thumb drive. <laughs> so, wow. two weeks pass. Guess who sends me an email that she needed to, she needed to meet with me? I go into her class. How may I support you? Um, I need to know how to use that thing you're trying to teach me. I lost my thumb drive. I'm like, good, because you lost those old out of date lesson plans too. So I'm I'm more than happy to help you and support you. <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow. So. Uh, definitely, this is, um, you know, uh, from the uh, what everybody was saying, kind of, you know, the 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 shock and the I guess we went through the shock, the horror and the tragedy feeling for education. But, you know, after talking with you, it seems like this was, um, you know, in a way, um, 
I don't want to say godsend, but in 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 a way, it needed to be shaken. We needed yeah. to be shaken up a little bit. We needed um, this. We needed um, this. Yes, and so you know, with the shakeup, uh, hopefully, then um, my my last question for you is: What do you think that the future of education looks like? The future of education looks mm-hmm. like the people that are receiving the education is no longer cookie cutter, is no longer one size fits all, is no longer Courtney likes to listen to podcasts. So I'm going to just make sure. Um, everyone listens to podcasts because Courtney likes it. It's more so Courtney likes to listen to podcasts. Podcasts. Caitlin likes to watch videos. Courtney likes to share by speaking. So I'm going to assess Courtney by her giving a an oral speech or her teaching. I want to observe Courtney teaching someone else. And therefore, I'm going to have a checklist and just check off because I can have a checklist for everyone because now is an opportunity to truly observe that person, that whole person, that whole student in their element, but have that checklist and meet them where they are. Like, hey, they demonstrated their learning in a way that their hearts desired, not what I think they should be doing. So I think education is going to become more personalized. You have no other choice. It's going to be um, led like with you, with your works, I can see you teaching other people what you do. Mm-hmm. I think the knowledge matter expert will no longer be the traditional teacher, but the actual practitioner. And we'll see more of that in the classrooms. Yeah, so we'll see truly learning. <laughs> I mean, truly learning. Like, I don't want to, yes. I don't want someone to just learn. And I used to tell my students, I can't sing a note, even though I tried in the shower, I can't play an instrument, but I used to invite the people that did the work to teach my students. Mm-hmm. I, I used to get in trouble for it. Now I'm not going to say that I didn't, I used to get in trouble because some <laughs> things I didn't get cleared, but my kids appreciated it. Yes. No, it's, it's important to give them um, that exposure. So yeah. Uh, fantastic. Well, I want to say um, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Teague, and for your um, insight. Um, if you'd like to learn more about uh, Dr. Teague, you can go to uh, uh, CourtneyLTeague.com. If you have a passion for an unserved community, a social justice problem, or simply want to change minds, contact Project Good at projectgood.work to start your project of change today. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in to Project Good, where we're focused on what matters.